Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for giving us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to be in your presence, to be with each other, to be able uh, to reflect on your goodness, your grace, and to be able to encourage one another. Because you're coming back soon, and you want us to be ready. And you want us also to help others to be ready. So please, may all that we do and say this afternoon be towards that end, where we be ready to meet you when you come in the clouds of heaven. That we'll meet you with open arms. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm not going to use any slides today, but I'm going to use some slides tomorrow. I know people like pictures, and they're often good because we say a picture is worth a thousand words. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tomorrow we'll use the pictures. Today we're going to have uh, word pictures. Okay? And I much prefer to look you in the eye, and especially since we're going to be starting. Uh, this off, uh, it, it's good to look you in the eye. Too bad, <laughs> too bad I can't get to see everybody in the eye, okay? But let me say this. I am actually ashamed for some of the aspects of what we're going to be talking about. And here's, here's the shame. I have been uh, speaking, of course, for, for the last how many years, uh, around the world and with, with people of all walks of life and with people in different churches and different public forums. And, uh, you know, sometimes I do not rightly represent the truth. How about you? Um, so I'm, I'm ashamed because I don't always do what I'm supposed to do. I'm not always who in my head, in my mind, I really want to be. And in the quietness of my own contemplations, early in the morning, I sometimes think about this. And the tear too might come to my eyes. And I determine today is going to be different. And then the morning comes. And something else happens. And I'm back where I started again. Does that ever happen to you? Now I wish I could tell you that I have arrived. I wish I could tell you that. What I am going to share with you, however, is that I am on a journey, and I believe that I have some insights that might be of interest to you and might be able to help you on your journey the way I have been helped on my journey. 
something happened recently. I was invited to uh, a church, not an Adventist church, uh, to talk about health and talk about the Seventh-day Adventist view of health. Now, I get some of these invitations fairly frequently. I can't attend to all of them. But in this particular case, I was with these lovely people. I mean, all of them were just eager uh, to listen, to, 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 to be engaged in what we were talking about. And, and I was amazed at how much they didn't know. I, I was amazed. We were talking about biblical things. We were talking about, for instance, the diet in Genesis chapter 1. And they didn't know. We were talking about Noah and the flood and how many animals of each kind went on the ark. And they were insistent that they were two by two. They didn't know. They were amazed to see this in the Bible. Then we got to a conversation about clean and unclean meats. And clean and unclean animals. They didn't know. It's, it's not as... <laughs> It's not as if there are, there are uh, you know, everybody out there just, they, they know and they're disobedient. Okay? Many, many, many people just don't know. And I say, and in our church, is that true? That there are many people who don't know? Well, I don't know. But maybe there are. And things like this, camp meetings and seminars that we have in churches, Seventh-day Adventist churches, uh, we try to give information and, and we hope that this is helpful to people. But I am convinced, as I am sure my colleagues here can attest, I am convinced that information alone doesn't change squat. Is that a good scientific term? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there are few people who receive information and say, okay, that's it, that's it, I've heard all I need. There are few, few people who do that. My dad is one of those people. When he hears something, if he is convinced, it's like no turning back. You have to convince him of something else now, right? My dad is 96. And he tells me that I don't know anything until I reach 80. So I'm working on it. <laughs> so I'm working on it. Okay? Hopefully I get there so I know something. But you see, if information doesn't change us, if it isn't enough to change us, what is it that actually is able to change us? Well, I have... I've come up with the, with the idea, and I don't think it's an original idea, right? It's that we need wisdom. Amen. How about that? Is that a, is that a good idea? Yes. yes. That we need wisdom. Mm -hmm. 
because information alone won't do it. So we have to have wisdom. And then we need something else along with that wisdom. We need power. Right? Power. So on the one hand, we have information, and on the other, we have, well, we have two hands, but well, on one hand, <laughs> we have information, and we have the, the, the wherewithal, the know-how that God gives to say, look, this is precious, and this you can do, and this I can do, and this you can never do unless I do it for you. And on the other hand, we have power where he says, I will give you everything that you need to be able to do what you can never do for yourself. Now, to hold on to that every minute of every day is the struggle that I have. And that's why we have Vicky and Evelyn. <laughs> because they're going to tell us how to do that later on. Some years ago, actually quite a few years ago, my wife uh, decided to give me a little gift. You see, I, I love music and I wanted to play the piano. How many of you play the piano? Several. Well, I am not envious because, you know, you, you learned it and so I could learn it too, right? So uh, my wife, this was back in the days where we didn't have anything like CDs and DVDs and whatnot. We still had cassette tapes, right? She had ordered this uh, piano playing cassette series, right? And uh, I didn't know anything about it until... Friday afternoon, when I came home, she said, this is for you. And I looked at it, I opened the package, and I looked at it, oh man, it looked really, really good. It was promising everything that I've always wanted, right? And there were some uh, cassette tapes in there for, you know, what you need to do, and there was a manual that was about 100, 120 pages or so that you read and you, you know, you go along like a workbook and you get this thing done and everything will be fine. Well, the Sabbath was coming. I put the, the things away. I knew what my Sunday was going to be like. On Sunday, I was going to begin. Well, I couldn't wait, so Saturday night I actually started. Right? I got the book and I started to read and I read and on Sunday I read some more and I tinkered a little bit and whatnot and things were going really, really well. And uh, before long, I had read the entire manual. And, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was really good. It was telling me all the things that I could do. And, uh, and then I listened to a little part of the tape, and, and it was, I would be able to play this. I mean, it was just exciting, exciting. I still can't play the piano. <laughs> do you know why? I did not practice. I didn't practice. I read all of it. I don't even know where the, where the series is now. You know, we've moved and moved and, you know, so. I don't even know where it is. I don't even know if I have a tape player. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I could have learned how to play the piano. Mm -hmm. I could have. 
but I didn't. I had desire. I had tools. But I didn't put it into practice. You know? We can have human beings. We can have great desires. Gardens. I love gardens. You know, vegetable gardens and things like that. I, I, I like it. I like it. And I look at people's gardens and I say, yes, we're going to have one just like that. Right? I'm not coveting, I'm just using it as a pattern, you know. We're going to have one just like that. Going to, going to. Anybody here knows about going to? We're going to do this. We're going to, going to, going to, right? And it doesn't get done. Ladies and gentlemen, for this series, we are not here to entertain you. Hopefully, we'll have some lighthearted moments and you'll be glad you're here. But we're not here to entertain you. We're actually here to challenge you. And we're here to challenge ourselves as well. Because the same things that afflict you also afflict everybody else. Different forms, different formats, but this is common to mankind. We all live in somewhere or another with the same set of issues because we're still living in this world that's filled with sin. Now this is a perspective that we need to have. But because of the lateness of time in Earth's history, it cannot be business as usual. Amen. It can't be. Amen. When are we going to really do what we say we're going to do? Amen. You know the story. And you might say, Doctor, what does this have to do with obesity and diabetes and prediabetes? That's everything to do with it. You know the story of what we call the rich young ruler. Right? Now, here's this guy. He goes to the doctor. Okay? And he says, Doctor, what do I need to do to be healthy? Oh, that's not the story, is it? It's a little variation. It's a little variation of the story, right? And the doctor says, hey, you know, you can do this. And he says, but doc, I've been doing this all my life. Right? And the doctor says, okay. Well, here's this. How about if you really put what you learned into practice? Really put what you learned into practice. And the patient says, I, I, I can't do that. And he walks out of the doctor's office, sorrowful. 
When I was a boy, there was a period in my life when my sisters, I have three sisters, all of them older than I am. They were very protective of me, but my three sisters sometimes would gang up on me. <laughs> and the one who is closest to me in age, she knew exactly which buttons to push to get me to be beside myself. And because I was, hear the word, because I was plump, have you ever used that word? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I was plump, I like that last P, plump. <laughs> because I was plump, she decided one day she had the name for me. She called me Fat Boy. Mm -hmm. hmm. Now, how could a loving sister do a thing like that? I will let you know that she didn't love me any less. This is just what kids do. Yes. But she called me fat boy. Oh, that hurt. And the more upset I got, remember, this is a sister, okay? What do you think? The more upset I got, the more she did it, the more she got. It was not until I got over it that it didn't mean anything anymore. She found something else, some other string to pull, right? Some other button to push. You see, there are some people whom you know, and some of you may be that kind of person, and for a time in my life, I felt I was kind of that way too. These people can eat anything, any amount, any time, and they don't gain an ounce. Anybody here knows anybody like that? Oh, oh my son. Yeah. <laughs> Some hands just shut up, right? right? Your, your son? Yeah. <laughs> and how do we feel about those people? Come on, let's be honest. Talk to the person next to you and use one word that says how you feel about those people. You know, right? Maybe some of you use the term envious, right? You feel envious of them. Because you see, there's some people on the other side. Some of these people, they pass by a bakery and they just smell the apple pie. And as the, the aroma of the apple pie enters their nostrils, they begin to gain weight. Anybody knows anybody like that? Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Well, those people really don't feel very good about the others, the first ones. Right? It's almost as though life is just so unfair, they can do whatever they want, and we can't. Yes, we can. <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> right? Yes, we can. Well, the thing is, we all can do quote-unquote, whatever we want. The issues are what happens after, right? Right. 
I have a very good friend. Uh, we were colleagues uh, together, and uh, he left, went to live in another country. And his son, a uh, very adventuresome little boy, uh, was growing up and uh, was very much interested in everything that moves, including cars. Now, they were living in Switzerland. And uh, in Switzerland, there is a highway called the Autobahn. Same as in Germany, there's an Autobahn. Actually, it's the same extension of the road, okay? But they were living in Switzerland. And in Switzerland, the, the Autobahn has speed limits. But in Germany, the Autobahn has no speed limits, right? No speed limit. So when you get on there, uh, you just have to be careful you don't drive too slowly. Right? <laughs> so this boy, he was, I guess, around 11 at the time. Uh, his real name, I'll tell you, is Eric. Eric and his dad, they were going into Germany. And Eric was just so excited. Just Eric and his dad in their car going into Germany on the Autobahn. I mean, he, 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 he couldn't wait for the day for this to happen because he was telling his dad, Dad, do you know that the Autobahn in Germany? I said, the dad didn't know, right? Yes, Eric, his dad says, yes, Eric. His father told me the story. Yes, Eric, he said, uh, I know, I know. But he reminded him several times, you know, as the day was approaching. And on the day, of course, he reminded him a few times before they got to the border. This is before the EU was the EU. So they got to the border, and uh, his dad had been driving, you know, uh, let's say 60 miles an hour, right? Of course, it was in kilometers and all that stuff. So, but he, let's say he was driving around 60 miles an hour. They get to the border, they stop, they uh, turn in their papers, get everything all right, and now they get into Germany and they're driving on the Autobahn. And the father is driving at 60 miles an hour. The same speed that he was driving in Switzerland. And he said he's looking out of the corner of his eye to see what is happening with Eric, right? Eric is there and he's like, <laughs> Until, you know, he couldn't take it anymore. He said, Dad, we're in Germany. And his father says, he told him, yes, Eric, I know we're in Germany. He says, Dad, we're in the Autobahn in Germany. And he said, yes, Eric, I know we're in the Autobahn in Germany. Said, so, so we can go at whatever speed we want. <laughs> and he says, yes, Eric, I'm doing just that. <laughs> he was going at the speed he wanted. You know, we do something very similar. We live our lives kind of like the way we want. Even when we know that there are some things that we have been advised that might be better. Now, when I was working in lifestyle centers, 
several of them. I was uh, at the Lifestyle Center of America in Oklahoma. I used to work with Weimar. I used to work with uh, Wildwood and others uh, in other countries as well. You know, we would have people who would come, and one of the most difficult things was people who said, Doctor, I want to gain weight. So many people who would hear that, because, you know, it's groups of people who go to, to lifestyle centers. When they hear that, you know, Jane or Bob or is here to gain weight, many of them volunteered for transplants. <laughs> they would gladly, right, give of what they had. Here, you can have uh, my transplant here. But it was hard for some people to gain weight. And on the other side, there were people who said, I can't lose weight. I can't. Now, at first, I used to think that this is, not, this is just not true. Because I had gone through, and I had lost weight. If I could do it. Anybody can. Anybody can do it. Anybody can do it. So here I was, doctor, and people are saying, I can't lose weight. What I did not realize in the early days was all of the things that are behind some of those issues. And I want to share with you one of them. Okay, just one. And then we will deal with what happens after. Now I need to be cognizant of the time. How are we doing? We're good? All right. Actually, we've been studying for 30 minutes. All right, so it's time to get up and stretch. And they want their lipoprotein lipase uh -huh. to get going because that's what burns fat. Okay. So I think everybody would like to stand up and say lipoprotein and get their lipase. lipoprotein <laughs> lipase. Oh, wait. So let's just stand in place here, do some walking. Yeah? Move around a little bit. Actually, it just takes standing up and sitting down. But let's do some reach up. Yeah? Can you do both? Okay, how about this? <laughs> how about this? Actually. <laughs> how about this? Be careful. <laughs> The chef good. and the doctor okay. together. That's, that's bad. <laughs> That would be a good thing to have a chef and a, a, a doctor. Okay, so maybe it's just because this isn't close enough. Okay. Is that better? Yes. Oh, all right. Thank you. Now, where was I? The one thing. You know, I actually lost my train of thought. Um, okay, where was I talking about before the one thing? Yes, the one thing. All right, thank you. The one thing. We're going to talk about one of these issues. Okay? And, you know, I didn't come prepared with a, uh, but, but we, can, we can get some, if somebody wants. All right, yeah, 
Alright, good. Here's the thing. This is the story of Gina. Gina was very much overweight. As a matter of fact, she had to be very overweight for her to be in this particular clinic. The clinic was the preventive medicine obesity clinic in San Diego, at the University of San Diego. This was run by the preventive medicine department and Dr. Filetti was the, uh, was the chief physician there, he's the head of the department. And while I'm talking about Gina, uh, this is not her real name, but there are many people who were like Gina, okay, like this, this person. Gina, in this particular case, was uh, a nurse's aide that worked nights, okay? And so she went in in the evening, she spent the night at the nursing home, and she came home in the morning. And when she got home, she was dead tired, and she slept all day, and she woke up the next night, and she went back to the nursing home. On her days off, she would try to catch up on her sleep, but she had a completely different schedule because on her days off, she would be a day person. She didn't understand that by switching from day to night and day to night, she was actually uh, really causing a chaos of her hormones. Okay? She didn't realize that. But this is what she did. She was over 400 pounds. And you have to be over 400 pounds to be in this clinic, so she qualified. And the doctor said, I am going to put you on a strict diet and some exercises, and you're going to lose weight. Okay? Now, I want you to talk to the person next to you, and I want you to give a grade. And the grade is the possibility that she will lose weight. If you give a grade of 10, it means that you believe that she will lose the weight because this doctor is going to do this with her. If you give a zero, it means that you have no confidence in this doctor whom you don't even know. If you give a five, you're being wishy-washy. <laughs> you're thinking, ah, no, that, that, this doctor Zeno is a trick question, right? So let's go. We have half a minute. Talk to the person next to you. What do you say? What do you say? I'm next to you. <laughs> what do you think? Whether I can lose weight? No, whether this this lady Gina is going to lose the weight. Uh, she will. Yeah, so, on a scale from zero to ten. Uh, I'll give her nine out of ten. Nine, you don't mind. You give her zero. Zero. You're not saying. <laughs> it's a secret. <laughs> All right. How many say tens? Tens. Any tens? We have one person with a ten, two people with a ten. How many? Somewhere between, let's say, seven and nine. Okay, we have quite a few people with seven and nine. How many really said fives? Fives. Okay, we have a few fives. So less than five, raise your hand. Any that said zero? A few of you said zero. All right. Good. Good. This is a nice normal distribution. <laughs> it seems as though you know something about weight loss. Well, 
As it turns out, you know, if you just think that to gain weight or to lose weight has to do with just eating and exercise, I'm sorry. You really don't understand what's going on. You see, many people believe that food, as they've been taught, food is just nutrition. Right. Is food just nutrition? No. No. Only, uh, you know, in, in, how do you say some academic circles? There are just some naive people who believe that, you know, food is just nutrition. But food is not just nutrition. Let me give you an example. If I were to tell you that tomorrow is Edmund's birthday, what just came to your mind? Cake. Cake. <laughs> Cake and ice cream, right? Okay. Edmund, when is your birthday? <laughs> Your birthday, not hers. <laughs> okay. You see, you, you thought about cake and ice cream because this is the custom here in this part of the world, and this is the way we celebrate people's birthdays, right? So whenever we have any kind of celebration, there is food. Exactly. Okay? So if there is a, a birthday, if there is a, a, a wedding, if there's a graduation, this is graduation time, right? Even a good funeral, right? You know? Yeah. We got some food there, right? So whenever we celebrate, there's food involved. This is a cultural thing. So food is not just nutrition, food is celebration. You know what else food is? If you meet somebody that uh, and you've struck up a, a little friendship or whatever, or somebody uh, at work that you just met, uh, they move into the, uh, the office or, or the plant, or uh, a new neighbor moves in and you want to be friendly with them, right? You usually invite them for some food activity, right? It's like, you know, the old saying of let's break bread together, right? Because food is not just nutrition, food is also affirmation. This is how we tell people, I like you, uh, I, I, I really would like to, to know you better, and things like that. Besides just saying it with our mouths, we actually act it out with food. We either bring something, or we make something, or we do lunch, or dinner, or something together, right? So food is not just nutrition. Food is also affirmation. After all, we do this perhaps not so much uh, anymore, but the little kids, right? If they like their teacher, they take the teacher... An apple. An apple. I mean, this, is, this was part of the culture here, right? We take an apple for the teacher. Right? When I was a little boy, we take a mango because I, I grew up the first 13 years of my life in Trinidad, right? We didn't have apples except around Christmas time when we would import them. We didn't grow in Trinidad, but we have mangoes, okay? All right, so we did mangoes. Take a mango, beautiful Judy mango for those of you from the Caribbean right? Okay. If the teacher really liked the class at Christmas time, what did the teacher do? <laughs> candy. Candy? Cookies. 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 Huh? Party. Party, yes, there's a little party time and there's some, some food. So so again, food is not just nutrition. Food is affirmation. This is how we, how we do it culturally, right? But then, food is even more. Let's do a word association, okay? I am going to count to three, 
I'm going to say a word, and I want you to say the first word that comes to your mind. Okay? You say it out loud. Is that all right? You understand? Yeah. I count to three, I say a word, and you say the first word that comes to your mind. Okay, so here we go. One, two, three. Thanksgiving. Turkey. Wait a minute, you guys practice this. <laughs> no, you, you, you had them practice this before. Before you told them. Did you know this? You all said turkey. Do, do you know why? It's cultural. Yes. It's a tradition. Okay. So food is not just nutrition. Food is also tradition. Now, I was, I was giving a talk many years ago in, um, in San Bernardino, California. I, uh, I, we were at the museum, actually it was uh, me, the museum there was me, and uh, they had a health conference there to attract people to come to the museum and get to see things in the museum and whatnot. Anyway, so I was practicing, I was, uh, I still am on the faculty of the but I was practicing then, and I knew what time I was going to be speaking, so I got there just before the time to speak, and there was this uh, dietitian of renown who was uh, finishing up her discourse with the group. I didn't know her, I knew of her, we had never met before. Um, so she finished, I walked in, uh, we greeted each other, the, the MC, the, the, the coordinator kind of said, this is, you know, and this is, you know how, how things, right? And uh, so I came up and they got me ready and she sat down right around here in front. And I started to talk. And I got to talking about this and I used that same word association, right? And I said, Thanksgiving, and everybody said turkey. And I, and I went on to talk about uh, the, the power of such things, the power of your culture, right? It, it, it hijacks your thinking. And I looked over at her, and she, she actually looked ill. And I asked, is everything all right? And she said, no, frankly, no. And by this time, other people are now noticing that I am noticing that she is not doing well. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe we need an ambulance or something. So she says, no, 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 I, I don't need any of that. So I said, what's the matter? And here's what she said. She said, doctor, I have never eaten turkey. I am a total vegetarian. So I said to her, no, that's all right, because it's well. She says, no, you don't understand. Okay. My parents were total vegetarians. We have never had turkey around at Thanksgiving. I said, oh, and she says, my grandparents on both sides were total vegetarians. They have never at Thanksgiving even thought about a bird. <laughs> Amen. Right? Amen. Amen. Right? And here she is, and I say Thanksgiving, and the first word that comes to her mind is turkey. And she is visibly disturbed. Yes. yes. Ladies and gentlemen, 
your culture is powerful. You may think you're thinking something else, but this is powerful. It's telling you something else. We work with people and we tell them we're going to help you to change uh, your diet and whatnot. If we don't consider these things, we're setting them up for failure. We say if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail, right? So, so we tell them about these things, but we have to tell them as well. You are going to have thoughts about things. If you have grown up all your life with a you know, turkey on the table for Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving just isn't the same without the bird. Okay? That's wrong. So, we have to be prepared for it. Are you following what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You see, it's not just change your diet and start exercising. We have to consider all of the things around. Okay? Let me give you another word association. Here we go. I'll count to three and you tell me what comes to your mind. One, two, three. Movies. Yeah, there you go. Right? Popcorn. Now, I'm sure many of you don't go to the movies. But movies and popcorn, they go together. Right? Because this is what the society has said does this. Now, in some other countries, you say movies and they probably look at you like, hmm. Because they don't go to the movies and they don't have popcorn. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. But here, you say movies and there's popcorn. So much so that in the days of, of uh, you know, video rentals, one company, they realized that they were not just renting videos, they were renting an experience. So they put popcorn machines in the rental uh, outlets and the sales shot up. They were the top of, uh, of the Wall Street charts because people went in there thinking they were going to rent one video, but because of the <laughs> popcorn and whatnot, they didn't even realize subliminally they were being seduced and they'd work out with three videos instead. That's what they right? Yes, that's what they do. Because the smell of bread is just it's enticing. Okay? In other words, we need to understand that we are at war. Yeah. Does that sound... Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think I'm being melodramatic? No. We're at war! Right? Because we live in an obesogenic society. The society tells us, eat more, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. The society around us tells us that the fatty things taste better. We learn. If something tastes good, it must not be good for you, so you have to cheat. <laughs> and if it's good for you, then it mustn't taste good. <laughs> Did you learn that? Yeah. So, so we, have, we have this distorted view because society has, has done this to us. So now we're going back to Gina. If Gina is going to lose weight, things have to happen in Gina's environment, not just, I'm going to put you on a diet and I'm going to have you exercise some more. Well, this doctor, he said, his own admission, he said, I thought I knew about weight and weight loss. But he did give her some tips about things to do. And you know what? Within nine months, she had come down to 186 pounds. Oh, I've been there. 
You've been there, right? She lost the weight. She was looking good. And then, just when things were going really well, she stopped going to the doctor. He called her up because he had noticed that many of his patients, just when things are going well, they quit. And he couldn't understand, you know, he said, he, he, even he admitted, if somebody is not doing well, then you can say they get discouraged and they leave. But if they're doing well and they see it's working, why would they quit? So he was on this quest, and he's a very data-driven person, so he'd ask all these questionnaires. He always made up some new questionnaire to ask patients and, and try to understand what was going on with people. Well, he really couldn't understand what was going on with Gina, but he watched what happened. And within six months, she was over 400 pounds. Okay? And it's like, ah, this is, this is terrible. This is terrible. So he's asking people, he's making up these new questions, he's asking his patients. He was frustrated by this. And one day, this woman is sitting in front of him, and he's going through his new list, his new questions, and he asks her a question that is not on his paper. He misreads it, and something else comes out. He asks her this strange question. How much did you weigh when you first had sexual intercourse? She said, 27 pounds. He says, no, 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 no. I don't know where that question came from. That's not the question I want to ask. So he looks on his paper and he says, how much did you weigh when you first had sexual intercourse? He asks the same question again. And the woman says, 27 pounds. 27 pounds? She begins to cry. It was my grandfather, he said. He admits he didn't know what to do. She explained. She was grandpa's little girl. And he systematically abused her sexually. And it was their little secret. He's not a psychiatrist. He's a preventive medicine doctor. He doesn't know what to tell her. But he's wondering, does this happen with other people? Have I been missing something here? So after trying to console this particular patient, he said, I, I need to see if other people have the same thing. So he asked the next patient who came in, the next one. He said, I, I, I know it sounds like a strange question, but tell me, how much did you weigh when you first had sexual intercourse? And this person gave a similar answer as the first one. But this time, it was an uncle. 
He thought, no, this is, this is a strange coincidence. Every patient that day, he asked the question to, gave him a similar answer. Different people, different players, different actors, similar situations. He goes over and he tells all of his colleagues, he says, I want, this is, this is strange, but I want you to check for the next week. We're going to check every patient who comes here. Remember, this is a, this is a super obese clinic. You have to be over 400 pounds to be in this clinic. We're going to ask everybody that comes in, right? They had a series of 430-something patients, one after the other, after the other, after the other. No, no break in between. And all of them had some form of abuse, usually sexual. He said, this is crazy. He looked in the literature. Nobody had reported anything like this before. He said, this is, this is worth presenting. So he, he created the, the case series, and he applied to be able to present this at the American Psychiatric Association meeting in Washington, D.C. that year. He goes there, and he discusses this. He describes what happened uh, with his patients. Right? And the psychiatrist tell him, he's crazy. They did not accept they suggested to him that he must have asked the wrong question or he didn't collect the data correctly. After all, they are psychiatrists that never heard of anything like this. And he should stick to preventive medicine. He was downtrodden. But before he left that room, one man came and spoke to him and he said, I believe that you are onto something and I'm going to put you in touch with a colleague of mine at the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, who happens to be a, an epidemiologist who is also an academic at Emory University. I will put you in touch with him, and you guys work on something. They did. And in total, they interviewed 17,000 people who were enrolled in the Kaiser Permanente uh, program in Southern California. Did I tell you the number? 17,000 people. They asked not just that question, they asked other questions about what could have been happening during the childhood. And what they found out is that if the child perceives, if the child perceives neglect, physical abuse, sexual abuse, or any kind of traumatic event, even if there was a close family member who got very ill, the child experienced a trauma. If somebody got incarcerated, the child experiences this trauma. If there was someone with mental illness, the child experiences this trauma. So the child involved in the environment receives and perceives things that affects the child's development. Now, children don't go around saying, you know, when I was a child, I had this and that and that experience. They don't know. They don't know. 
But once this was, uh, was discovered, they started to look at what, what was going on in society with individuals. Many people didn't even remember because they had repressed those ideas. In order to try to have some semblance of a normal life. You know, God is so good. He, he gives us forgetfulness. So we don't have to carry around all of these heavy burdens of every little thing that has happened to us and every big thing that has happened to us. But now we can uncover this. And for those people who want to know, it's a very simple thing. They're called Adverse Childhood Events, A-C-E. They're called ACE scores. When they looked at this, they thought, well, if it's going to be involved in obesity, what is, what is the issue? Well, the thing is, we go back to Gina. What happened to Gina? Well, this is Gina. She now was losing weight. She now had a life. She, in the morning when she got home, instead of going to bed, she would go shopping and she would do the things that other normal people would do. And then she would have eight hours of rest during the day and she'd get up uh, and go to work in the evening. And she was changing her schedule to be able to be a night person. Okay? And the pounds were just falling off. But you see, she had been sexually abused. When she was 12, she was a spelt ballerina with a little tutu and everything going on fine until somebody in the family decided that the tutu was too much. And that was the beginning of her weight gain, of her, her distorted view of what life was going to be. And one morning, when she had lost the weight and she was shopping, this old user came up to her and made an indecent suggestion. And it brought back a flood of memories and emotions and she realized something. When I was fat, I was invisible. Therefore, If I do this, I'll have to fend off all of this stuff? No way. No way. She was doing this to preserve herself. She gained the weight back. No need to go to that doctor. She knew how to gain weight very easily. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to point out, carrying weight and losing weight can be a big issue. Never, please, never judge anybody by their weight. Amen. Never. Amen. You have no idea what's going on. None. That being said, Don't ever say that you can't lose weight. Because we can. I have evidence of this. Auschwitz. The concentration camps. Everyone lost weight. 
Does it mean that for you to lose weight, you have to go to a concentration camp? Heaven forbid. But you see, don't say you can't lose weight, because you can. Now, how do you get to do this under those circumstances? I had the privilege of working with, uh, with a patient who was going for the Guinness Book of World Records record for being the largest woman. She had been uh, around 1,200 pounds. Okay. I met her when she was around 700 pounds. And she was going up. Yes, you see, she had lost all the way down to about 300 pounds. And she was on the rebound, going back up. What happened? Why was she going back up? Well, she had gotten down to around 300 pounds, and she had had a series of plastic surgery interventions. Why? Because she had all of this excess skin. So they had to, you know, trim away and trim away and trim away. And the last operation that she had was some operations on her legs. And they, they didn't heal very well. And so all of her routines that she was doing now became interrupted. And she became depressed. And she was looking for something to console her. Remember, food is not just nutrition. Food is also consolation. You know, when I was younger, and I'd been on call all night, and I had a hard day, so I'm awake now for almost 36 or more hours. And I call my wife, or she'd call me to find out how things are going. And I tell her, they're not looking so good. Now my wife is a loving wife. And she knew just what to do. I needed some pampering, right? Amen? Amen. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to know. <laughs> I need some pampering. So when I get home, my wife is going to give me some pampering. And one of the pampering things that she would do is she would fix me a meal that I enjoy. We call this comfort food. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. Now, wives are very good at this. They know their husband's comfort food. Now, if you ask me if I know my wife's comfort food, I'd say, more or less. But my wife would make this for me. I appreciated that very, very much. She would make stuff. Okay? If your comfort food happens to be healthy, praise the Lord. <laughs> if it is not, <laughs> every time you're stressed, that's what you're going to go towards. Okay. You see, food is not just nutrition. Food is consolation. And we use food and abuse food in this way because the food becomes our best friend. It doesn't complain, even though you chomp it down. It doesn't complain. 
And if we have enough resources, we can always get more. I mean, it's, it's a simple equation. I have a need. It is available. Let's go. <laughs> let's, let's get it. And the result is that all excess food goes to waste. Now, I don't know if you have a pen up, uh, uh, in, in your hand, pen, pencil, paper. I would like you to write that statement down. All excess food goes to waste. I like that. Now, how did you spell the word waste? Uh, it could either be W-A-S-T-E or W-A-I-S-T. I want to let you know, most of us prefer to put it on this waist than that waist. Mm -hmm. Because we even learned that as children. How about you? Let me tell you, when I was a boy, again, loving mom, right? But she says, when you are served, right, you, you eat what you are served, right? You don't throw away food. How many of you had that as a life commandment? You don't throw away food. Good. So, here's what my mom would tell me. First, I think the first one was about starving children in Africa. Right? Yeah. I figured, man, there must be a lot of starving kids in Africa. Right? Starving kids in Africa. Right? Then it became starving kids in Biafra. Okay? Now, I didn't know where Biafra was. I didn't, really, I, I had no interest in, but it sounded much more potent, you know? It's not just Africa, it's Biafra, right? And then it was Bangladesh. Starving kids in Bangladesh. Who wants to have those starving kids in Bangladesh? When I was an adult, and I got involved in health sciences, and I was a physician, I asked my mom, I said, <laughs> uh, I wasn't being a reverend or anything, I said, mom, why don't you just take the food and ship it over there? You know? <laughs> right? That would have been better, you know? Say, look, you know, we're not going to eat for a couple of days, right? We're going to take that money and we're going to send it to the air. That would have been much more helpful for us and much more helpful for them. Don't you think? Right. Right? But no, what would our parents do? Loving parents. What they want is, they want to teach us a certain principle. The principle is, don't be wasteful. But the end result is, it's there, you eat it. Right? And don't, <laughs> what about moms? What about moms with kids? The kid is, right? What does the mom do with the extra food that's on the plate that the kid doesn't eat? They eat it. They eat it. Yeah. Right? Because they don't want to waste it. Isn't that right? Yes. I mean, that's what good moms do. <laughs> this, is, this is a definition of a good mom, right? It would be this. But listen, I'm here to point out that the issue of weight is it's a weighty matter. It's big. But we know someone who is bigger than all of this. And what I said today could be either taken as, you know, this, this doctor is very entertaining. And we had a good laugh. And wasn't it sad what he said about what happens to some people? But you know, the reality is, 
that that in and of itself is not going to change you. Your mind has to change. Your vision of food has to change. And this, <laughs> this requires a supernatural act. When we pray, it's not just, Lord, I thank you for the meal that I have. We should be thankful for the meal that we have. But really, we ought to add to the prayer, so help me to have the right relationship with this plate. Because you know I am prone to overeat. Amen. Oh, it tastes so good. Can I have some more? And some more. Now, it's not that the only issue with weight is eating. No, no, no. Our metabolism, all of these other things are working with it. But I tell you, in Auschwitz, if you didn't eat, you couldn't keep your weight and you couldn't gain weight. And this lady, who was 700 pounds and growing up, I asked her, when do you stop being mobile? You know, to carry 700 pounds walking is a big deal. Mm -hmm. She said that she gets immobile around 750 pounds. Now, when she was at her peak, it was over 1,200 pounds. So my question was, how did you get from 750 to 1,200 if you can't find, you can't walk around to get your own food? Her family. Yep. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, part of the issue is our social connection. Amen. We facilitate each other's indulgence in food. We don't realize that we are really our brother's keeper. So, in this camp meeting, please be challenged in this way. It's not just about you and your weight and the pre-diabetes and the diabetes. It's not just about you. It's about all of those who are around you, who are part of your, your circle of influence. This is part of health. Amen. Healthy person, health. healthy community. And we have an opportunity, this camp meeting, to start to rebuild a healthy community. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.